Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 3. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I write afore in few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Then I want you to look at verse 8. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 9, it talks about the mystery of faith. In that same chapter, in verse number 16, it talks about the mystery of godliness. Now, I think if you look back just a page in your Bible, you will see in the first chapter and verse number three, it said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. As, according as he hath shown us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption, through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. And then I want you to look at chapter 5 of this same book and verses number 30 down through verse number 32. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. I want to talk to you tonight for a few minutes on the mystery of mysteries. I think everybody loves a mystery, you know, to read a mystery novel and you try to figure out who is what and when it happens and all of that. But this is a far greater mystery than that. This is a deep that cannot be sounded. This is a length that cannot be measured. This is a height that cannot be scaled. It would be easier for an invalid to scale Mount Everest. It would be simpler for a child to hold the seven seas in the palm of his hands. This is but a taste of the magnificent meal that I think is here to be digested. Our thoughts are to ponder in our hearts and gaze upon this great, great mystery and somehow grasp its truth. As Mary sat at Jesus' feet and heard the majestic music 
of our verse in Ephesians chapter 30, chapter 5 and verse 30 and verses 32. The message for those who recognize his wounds are the fountains that poured forth his redeeming blood. For those who his atoning sacrifice, the soul's only hope for those that are really saved and are members of his flesh and of his bones and of his body. This is a mystery, the mystery of adoption in Ephesians chapter one and verse five, the mystery of exception, acceptance in verse number six, the mystery of the atoning blood in verse number seven, the mystery of the riches of his highest and of his grace in our lives. I hope if you are sitting here tonight that you have received the mystery of his salvation. Then come out of the weather a moment and enter the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit and enjoy the richness of his matchless grace and hopefully for a moment or two, uncover the mystery of mysteries. Our text tonight echoes back to Genesis chapter two and verse number 23. As across the ages of time, a man, the first man, awakens from a God-induced sleep. And for the first time in his life, he sees someone who is somewhat like him, but beautifully and amazingly different. For Eve was the more, most gorgeous woman in all the world. And we'll look at Adam as the fleshly husband of the human race and look at Jesus, the second Adam, the husband of our divine nature. I have just two thoughts tonight or two points tonight. It'll be a little bit longer than just two points because there's a lot of sub points. I'm just giving you that ahead of time. Consider first the similarity of the two natures. Adam, when he saw her, he said, she is like me. The last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, he thought it not robbery to be equal without God. Without him, without Jesus Christ, nothing was made that was made. He was there, the author of creation. Jesus is not a deified man or a humanized God. He is God of very God. He is perfectly man and permanently God all at the same time. He is just like you and me, but he never sinned or wandered from the truth. He was our kinsman, not in fiction, but in fact. We are now as children of God, partakers of his divine nature. According to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 4. In Colossians 3 and 10, we have put on the new man, the image of him. We were born with an earthly image and now we enjoy 
a heavenly image, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He lived for God. Who are you living for? He lived to help others. How are you doing along those lines? He lived to proclaim God's word. What about us? Then step up the ladder a rung or two and think about this. It signifies an intimate relationship. Adam, when when he saw his wife, now I see this and this is just a little side thought. I think marriage should be till life do us part. I think it takes the commitment. Commitment today is a dirty word to a lot of people. But the nearest and the dearest and the closest relationship we have on this earth is that marriage relationship. I will say this tonight. My wife and I, we have never, we've been married almost 51 years. We have never had an argument. We have, a, we have had a lot of intense fellowship. <laughs> but we have never had an argument. And sometimes... Well, I'm not even going to go there. There ought to be that relationship with our wives and with our husband. Uh, The old song says, nothing between my soul and the Savior. There ought to be nothing between us in our relationship. In Christ, there is no way for that relationship, that marriage that we've had with him, for that to be dissolved. In life, some people are made single by death, sometimes by law, sometimes by choice. And and that's not what I'm talking about tonight. But Jesus Christ, not only is our Savior, not only is he our Redeemer, but he is our husband. He is our loved one. He is our all. We are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. Compare this. The serious, mysterious extraction. Now when Adam woke up from that God-induced sleep, I seemed to be missing something. He was missing a rib. And he looked over there, he said, goodness gracious, I've lost a rib. But I've got a woman pretty good trade, amen. Trade a rib for a woman. (laughs) Pretty happy about that. When he woke up, she was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. That's what he said. She is part of me. Jesus knew where his bride would derive from. He knows where his church came from. He had that spear that came out of his side and blood and water flowed therefrom. That mark in his side, those marks in his hands, they are memorial to the fact that he purchased his bride with his own blood. The spouse of the second Adam came from his heart. John 12 and 24 talks about that seed that dies and brought forth uh, the church Redeemed bride, it brings forth much fruit. His church is not the harlot in purple of the seven hills. His church is not 
some political machine or polished buildings. No, but his church is the spiritually quickened, living, believing, holy people of God. I see another sacred, loving possession. We belong to him. See, Adam never owned the garden. Uh, He didn't own any of those animals. When he saw her, he knew that she was his. And for him, there were no more sleepovers with the giraffes and the hippopotamuses. There were no more romps through the trees with the gorillas like Tarzan. It was over. He had her. I'm going to tell you something. When you get saved, when you genuinely get born again, all that stuff of the world is no longer all that important. Now I belong to Jesus, and Jesus belongs to me. We set our affections on him, not on the soiled, degraded things of this old world. Charles Spurgeon said this, your soul, spirit, and body, use an interesting term, the triple kingdom of your nature, Christ purchased with his own blood. He bought you. He paid for you. What a dark thought that your mate would secretly have another lover. What a terrible thing. And what an awful thing that a child of God would have a relationship with somebody else that was more intimate, more important, more valuable to them than the relationship we have with Jesus Christ. I think I told a story here one time about a church that I preached for in a northeastern state. And um, they had a Halloween party and uh, they were all dressed up like biblical characters. Did I tell that crazy story here? Oh, I think I did. You don't, I didn't tell the church? Oh, my goodness. I don't want to tell the church. Is that okay? It was awful. I will give you the end of the story. You sure I didn't tell it? Did I tell you that story about uh, the preacher's wife? She was there at the, at the Halloween party, and she had a sheet over her. Did I, did I tell that? to this church? Are you kidding me? Let's backtrack a minute. Uh, I know I've said this publicly before, but maybe not here, and I'll get to the rest of this. But this is just a little addendum here. I was preaching for this guy in one state, excuse me, one city, and a guy in another city, and they were a long ways apart. And so the preacher, uh, he called, I called the preacher, and I said, uh, when do you want to meet? This guy will meet halfway. We're 150 miles apart. And so they decided on a place. And this guy wanted to meet me at 8 o'clock in the morning. And I didn't want to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to make that trip uh, to meet him at 8 and have breakfast. And so uh, we, we bargained a little bit, and we made it at noon. And so I transferred my luggage, got in the car, and he didn't even feed me. But uh, uh, I said, uh, why did you want to meet so early? He said, well, we're having a Halloween party at the church. Did I? I didn't tell you this story. Oh, my goodness. And I said, you know, I didn't like, I don't care nothing about Halloween. I don't celebrate Halloween. I think it's wicked. It's of the devil. You can do what you want. You can wear a pumpkin on your head. I don't care. But uh, 
I got in this car. We rolled it. I got to tell you this part. We're driving down the road. And the radio was on, I don't know, some kind of music. And a little static came over that radio, and he goes, I never met this man in my life. We're driving along more in a little static. Going, I said, brother, what is the matter? He said, I have been down to Pensacola, Florida. Man in my church and me. And we went to a Christian bookstore down there. I bought a stack of books about three feet high by one author. And the top book on there was about UFOs. And I have read that entire book on UFOs, and I really believe that I'm being attacked by Martians. You think I'm kidding, don't you? But I ain't. And they're shooting a death ray at me. And the static over the radio, that's part of it. I tell you, by the time we got to our destination, those Martians were missing him and hitting me. My back started hurting. Well, he took me to where I was going to stay. It was an upstairs apartment in an, an old house. It was a nice house, I guess, but an old house took me up there. And the, the people that I stayed, they didn't tell me that that's where the dogs lived, was upstairs. And the two dogs were Great Danes. They met me at the door. They greeted me with a holy kiss, both sides of my cheek. I had to sleep for four or five days. And these dogs... They'd, I, I felt like locking the door because they'd come and look at you. I guess I must have been sleeping in their bed. I don't know. <laughs> well, he told, he, had, he, he told me, he said, I'll pick you up at such and such a time. We'll go over to the, uh, the, the Halloween party. I didn't really want to go. And so he picked me up, and he took me over to his house, and he set me down on the couch, and old, cruddy, dilapidated couch. I've had kinds like this. I had a couch one time. One of the people from the church stopped out front and they had an old couch in the back of their truck. And they come up the house and said, uh, listen, I got this old couch back here. We were going to the dump with it. Thought maybe you'd want it. <laughs> I said, well, I guess I would if you'll take my worst one. So they took our cruddier couch and gave me their cruddy couch and it was an upgrade for us. But I've had couches, you know, you sit down in them and the cushions come up like this. And I was sitting there like a little kid in that couch. Springs were all gone. And he come down the steps. He had a bow and arrow. He had the bow. He had it pulled like this. And I said, oh, my goodness, he's going to kill me. I mean, you can't. You couldn't. I, I, my brain could never make this story up in a million lifetimes. And he had one of those red plaid hunting suits that people wear, used to wear up north. We don't wear them anymore. We wear camouflage and orange. But... My goodness, that, that's what we wore when I started hunting as a kid, 14 years of age. That's what we had. I, had, I got two wool suits, wool hunting suits at home right now. Of course, I wore them when I was 14 and 18. They don't fit me anymore. If you would like one, I'll be glad to give it to you. But he come down the steps with that, and he stopped like he was going to get aim, get good aim. And I'm sitting there, and he said, you know, Brother Green, I do not like uh, Halloween much either and he said uh, so I told everybody they had to dress like biblical characters and he said do you know who I am and I went through my vast knowledge of the word of God <laughs> I settled for a moment on the madman of Gadara but he had too much clothes on 
And I looked at that guy and I said, sir, I don't have any idea. I mean, I never met this guy. I said, I have no idea. He looked at me like I was stupid. He said, well, I am Esau the hunter. I said, oh, yeah, now I got it. We go over to the church. Everybody was there. Abraham, Isaac, you know, Moses, Miriam, the whole, I mean, everybody, John the Baptist, the whole crowd was there. Then a woman, I'm standing there in the doorway, and a woman, God being my witness, come dancing down the aisle of the church, heading towards me, standing outside the building. She had a white sheet pulled over. She had eye holes and mouth holes, and she had a Miss America banner across there that said the Holy Ghost. And she come down through there, and she's flapping her, flapping that sheet, saying, I'm the Holy Ghost. I'm the Holy Ghost. I backed up, and I said, all right, God, just drop the whole thing on this mask. <laughs> the most blasphemous thing I think I have ever heard in my life, really. Terrible. And then he comes up and puts his arm around her, said, I'd like you to meet my wife. I went back to the doghouse where I was staying. <laughs> I didn't pray. I didn't read my Bible. I knew, where the, I knew what the meanest sermon in my Bible was. And that's all I was going to preach and hope the guy ran me off. I mean, I preached. I scalded that crowd Sunday morning. I would never do that. I wouldn't do it anymore, but I did it just a while ago. I just let them have it. And I had a little, they had a little table, one much bigger than this pulpit top here. And I had some back, I'll tell you how long, it was had cassette tapes and a little religious paper that I used to put out. And a long-haired boy, uh, beautiful blonde hair. I mean, if he'd have been a girl, had beautiful blonde hair. And he come and stood there, and he said, uh, Sir, this is the first time I've ever been to this church. He said, I really never heard anything like that in my life. I said, you, you, are you, have you been saved? He said, no, this is the first time I've ever been here. I had a nice tape. I asked him, I said, do you have a cassette? Yes, I do. He said, I have one in my car. I said, this, this is a little tape tells you about how, how to be saved. This is nice, it was a nice sermon. And I gave it to him, and he came back that night, walked out, and got born again. You say, well, I doubt if he really got saved. That was in October, obviously, when Halloween is. The following March, I was, went down to Hammond, Indiana. I'd just go down to pastor school, not to go to the classes. I didn't, you know, I was an evangelist. We'd just go there and meet friends. I had friends there. I'm walking down the aisle, and that, I mean, there's 4,000 people probably in that building. And a kid hollers, hey, Brother Green. Hey, Brother Green. I turned around, and there's a kid. His hair is as short as your pastor's. I didn't even recognize him. I said, hi, how are you? He said, you don't recognize me, do you? He said, no. He said, I'm that long-haired kid that got saved up there in New York. I'm going here to school now. Never know what you're doing. I said all that to say this. That same pastor, I went back. Because <laughs> you get good illustrations at nut houses. I mean, that's, <laughs> I went back. And we went out to eat one day. And this fits with the message a little bit. I got to I got to go back and tell you what I'm talking about. Uh, your mate, it was a terrible thing to have your mate secretly interested in somebody else. So he sits me down. He says, "Stay here at the office. I got to go do a little counseling session." 
two, three hours later, he comes back. I'd looked at every coloring book in his office by then. <laughs> and uh, he said, oh, Brother Green, you're not going to believe that was the biggest mess. He, he said, that was the best family in our church. And the woman, they have six children, but the woman is married to somebody else. She's never been divorced. I said, you got to be kidding me. He said, oh, they, they, they've been together for six years and they've never been married. He said, no, but they got six kids. And then I said, what did you tell them to do? He said, I told the man he's got to sleep on the couch. I said, if I was you, I'd have married him on the spot and got it over with. But what a horrible thing to be married to somebody and they were interested in somebody else. Would you in your Christian life think it's a positive thing to provoke our Lord to jealousy by our actions, by our words, by our thoughts, by our deeds? You think it'd be right as a child of God to seemingly have divided loyalty? We have been bought with a price. We are members of his body and of his flesh, and of his bones. We are entirely his tonight. I want to close with just a skimming, but a surface thought. A supernatural, vital union. We are closer than husband and wife with him. We are members we are members. It's, it's unity, not just identity. We are not joined to him. We are part of him. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, and hath put all things under his feet and gave to him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. I don't think I'm stretching the point, but you are his fullness. We, the church, we fill him up. There would be no savior if there weren't saved people. He would, there would be no head if he was, there wasn't a body or members. There would be no flock if there wasn't a shepherd. Without the redeemed, there would be no redeemer. Every king needs his subjects. We are one with him. We are seated together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. What does our text secure? Now this is my second thought. It's not long at all. These five fragrant flowers, I think, produce a bouquet of grace. We have a similar nature. We have an intimate relationship. We have a mysterious removal and a loving possession and a vital union to the point that we have eternal safety. As long as God lives, we're going to live. My goodness. Our head is above. You know, you keep your head above water, you're not going to drown. We're never going to go down. We have everlasting life. We are forever safe in Him.
That doesn't mean that as a child of God, you can live like you want to live and everything will be okay. The renewed man, the saved man, will live like God wants him to live. Seek holiness, not hellishness. And we enjoy his love. This old body has aches and pains and on and on, but men cling to it. Men don't want to die. John 15 and 9 says, As the Father loved me, so have I loved you. You think about that. As much as God loves Jesus, that's how much Jesus loves us. That's an everlasting love. That's a powerful, potent, potent love that he has for us. And he'll feed us and care for us wherever you are. We, are, we have meat to eat that the world knows not of. Amen. And there's an excellent ending for the child of God, the members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. The Bible says there in the 27th verse of chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. We were going to be presented to him one day perfect, with no defects. We may have some tonight. I suppose all of us do. I, I wish I had zero. I wish there was no negative thoughts that ever flew across my mind. I wish there was never any words that came from my mouth that were less than pleasant and godly. There ought to be none. We ought to never sin. We'll be presented as a bride to her husband as Eve was to her Adam. I heard a preacher, uh, he used to be the president or whatever Brother Ellis is over Rock of Ages. I preached with Brother Garris somewhere, I think this was up in Chicago, when he said this, he might have said it more than once, but he said he was staying with some Indians over in Cherokee, North Carolina. They probably treated him better than that guy up in New York treated me. Staying with the Indians in Cherokee. And uh, they had a hog farm. And the hogs all got out. And the Indians started chasing those hogs. And he said, I wasn't about to chase them. I just stood there by the gate that they knocked down. And he said, those hogs, they ran up the top of the mountain. And all those Indians chased them up the top of the mountain. Those hogs turned around and ran all the way back down, all the way down bottom of the mountain. And all those Indians chased them. I stood there right by the gate and they went right back in that hog pen where they came out. You know, we need to stay in the pen. I'm not calling us a bunch of hogs. At least we're sheep, thank God. Lord, I'm coming home, <laughs> never more to roam. Right. Sam Jones said this. He said, Jesus saw the old ship of humanity about to sink neath the waves of God's wrath and judgment and the rocks of unrighteousness about to ruin the human race and the Son of God, Caesar. And down he comes from the shining shores of heaven 
as swift as the morning light and throws his arms of love around this, this old sinking ship. She carries him under for three days and three nights. And he, however, brings her to the surface on the third day. And God grasps the stylus and signs the Magna Carta of man's salvation. And at that blessed moment, the truth of God's grace is seen. For whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What a, what a privilege we have in Christ to behold his glory. And to allow his glory to be revealed in us, the sufferings of this present time will pale into insignificance. And in the end, what he has, we will have. We will be one with him forever. I reverently say tonight, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. The great question this evening is, are you a member? I want a guy to the Lord in 1976. He became the only millionaire my dad had in the church. He'd gone through a devastating divorce and uh, had recovered from that. Just a workaholic, worked 18 hours a day, every day, except uh, Sunday, of course. And, and uh, he ran a bus route for a long time in the church, and he'd work right up till 10 o'clock. When it was 11 o'clock was time to go make all the bus visits, and he'd make them till the afternoon and go back to work at night. He's just a hard-working fella, but he became very wealthy. I loved his mother. She loved me. Her name was Flora. She didn't like very many other people. She didn't even like my friend's wife. <laughs> She didn't like anybody, but she liked me, and I liked her. I, I really did. She just, we got along good. And uh, she died. She'd made a profession of faith, but she only went to church, you know, Christmas and Easter. Maybe the grandkids uh, had a little play or something. She'd come, but she never showed any spiritual fruit at all. And she died. And... Uh, had the funeral at my father's church, and uh, we went out to the cemetery, and they placed her body in the ground. And my buddy and I, we met when I was in first grade, and he was in kindergarten. We were lifetime friends until he died at 50 years of age, but we walked away from that grave with our arms around each other. And I didn't know what to say, I just a kid myself, maybe 40 when it happened. And I said to him, well, Al, I think she's with God. And this is what he said. I hope so. I hope so. I wrote that day in my Bible, and I just happened to see it today. Parent, parents, so live that when you die, your children will have no doubt where you are spending eternity. Amen. That's a vital thing, yes. to know Christ, to be part of his body, part of his bone and flesh and part of him. It's a mystery. I, I, I can't explain it all. Somebody perhaps could do better than I can, but I, 
it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing to believe and to have our hope and trust all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Amen. From the day you got saved, genuinely born again for all eternity, we'll have him, and better yet, he'll have us.